broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to build my house like I want to build my house. Go right ahead. Now look back at your neighbor and say, mm, 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 mm. We continue in our series, The Story, and uh, we are in uh, chapter 19, The Return Home. Uh, by way of recap, the uh, nation of Israel has been divided. There's a northern kingdom called Judah and a southern uh, kingdom called Israel. And more focused on Jerusalem. And uh, did I switch those? Okay. I was, just, I was doing that just to see if you were listening. Thank you, Don, for listening. Uh, Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. I'm going to leave it right there. I, I'm safer that way. Uh, there were no godly kings in the Northern Kingdom. I believe it was 19 different kings. None followed the ways of God. They all were evil. Southern kingdom didn't fare too much better, but had at least had a smidgen of good, godly kings to lead them. And so we're at the point now where God is going to do something miraculous to bring the children of Israel back home. And home was Jerusalem. Home for God will always be Jerusalem. His temple is in Jerusalem. It's still there. Just needs to be rebuilt. And so time will come when they'll be working on that. Or not. But Jesus will step out of heaven and come to Jerusalem as a holy place. Not because the Jews are there alone, but because it's where God has chosen. We should support Israel for no other reason than our Savior came from there. Now, everyone in Israel needs to find Jesus just like you and I do. They need to claim Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior. Most of them still operate under the Ten Commandments. Most of them still operate under the Old Covenant Law, which has been stretched and rewritten and adjusted and addendumed. To fit their lifestyles. But the great thing about finding freedom in Christ. Is we don't have to worry about that anymore. Sacrifices made once and for all. At the cross. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But we pick up our story in the book of Ezra. So if you have those Bibles. Let's go to the book of Ezra. You've got um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and Ezra. That's right there. Um, or it may be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Ezra is right there. Haggai is a more fun book to find. It's between the Z boys, Zephaniah and Zechariah. So you might have to look in the index for a page number. If you do, that's fine. If you're lucky to have tabs on the side of your Bible, you'll touch the unused tab. It's called Ezra and Haggai. <laughs> Ezra will still be intact. But let's take a look at the first couple of verses of the first chapter of Ezra. 
It says, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. God is going to do something in a miraculous way. The people needed to go home. They needed to go back and begin to rebuild the temple. Remember in the Old Testament, God resided in the temple. But at this time, the temple had been leveled. didn't stand anymore. And there was a change in the world powers as we're reading the book of Ezra. Persia was taking over Babylon. God was using this Persian king, Cyrus, to get them, that is the Jews, back home. He was going to give them resources to accomplish what they needed to accomplish because God had laid in His heart the desire to have that temple rebuilt. So God uses people, sometimes the strangest of people, and He orchestrates history to accomplish His purpose. Sometimes you need to have a bad leader in order to put your focus back on God. Amen? Amen. Because see, bad leaders who take you away from God will cause you to realize the error of their ways and the folly of following them, and you'll come back to the leader that loves you, whose name is Almighty God, Yahweh. And then then through His Son Jesus, which is our leader, our guide. But God's people would never be completely home. God's people wouldn't be completely home until God's home, the temple, was among them. You see, the temple was the central focus of worship to the Jew. Because God resided within the temple. God was there. He was in that temple. And so Cyrus then lets 50,000 people return. Well, that's a a pretty good work crew, isn't it? 50,000? And there was a lot of excitement among those people as they got to go back and start the journey back home. Now, this is a holiday weekend, and a lot of folks will travel to see family. Cindy and I thought, well, we haven't seen Mark and Amy for a little while, so we'll just make a quick trip over to Enid and have lunch with them or whatever, only to find out that they have other plans. (laughs) So, that's just the way it's going to be. I'll just have to eat my hot dog by myself. So, But God's people would not be completely home until God's home, the temple, was among them. Now, let's take a look in Ezra chapter 3. In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of uh, Jehozadak, joined his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, with his family in the rebuilding of the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the priests were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar uh, at its old site. 
And then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the uh, altar to the Lord each morning and evening. So they began to do things the right way. They got set up, but they began to have some opposition. And they began to get distracted. Holiday weekends, people will say, well, I don't need to go to church. You know, I only get a long weekend every so often. So I'm going to go worship God at the lake. Along with thousands of other people who are worshiping God at the lake. And they're worshiping and praising God as they get in those boats on Sunday morning. And they get out in the middle of the lake. And they are religious people because they talk about God a lot. And they are doing some incredibly fun Praise-driven things, aren't they? While they're on that lake. Somebody gets in their way. Well, they simply stop and pray for them. I know they do. (laughs) Somebody's, they're wanting to go fish and somebody's already in their fishing spot. Well, they just simply wave and say, Dear brother in Christ, may God bring many fish to you today. I'm sure that's what they do. I'm sure when their boat won't start, they've traveled quite a distance and their boat won't start in the lake. They simply gather together and they circle the boat and they lay hands upon the boat and pray for God's direction and will for that boat to somehow miraculously start. We get distracted, don't we? We do. And these folks began to get more interested in their own homes. They were more concerned about what they were doing in their house and how their house was looking than what God's house was looking. We're doing a much better job of getting our church house looking better. We've painted. We're in the process of doing some additional things. We've put in new windows and just things that need to be done. Upkeep that needs to happen. And then I've I've challenged you, and I haven't seen a... Mint wrapper on the floor in some time. I'm so proud of all of you for picking up those mint wrappers. It's just awesome. Because, you know, once you take the mint out of the wrapper, what you do with it is you throw it on the floor at church. Amen? Well, that's what we were doing for a long time. All these young people, we blame them. They're the worst of all. These young people. They don't care about anything but themselves. So they would take those wrappers and just throw them down. And what was really more encouraging is the adults who would walk by those only to complain that they were on the floor. That was even more fun. These people were really focused on their houses. They wanted them looking sharp. They wanted them looking uh, lavish and ornate. So people in the neighborhood would go, wow. I've got a dead limb hanging from one of my trees. It's too high up for me to go get it, so it's just going to hang there till it drops. And I'm sure people drive by and go, why didn't he pull that dead limb out of that tree? But maybe someday somebody will climb up there and do it. Because if I did that and you, and you folks drove by, oh my goodness. I'd hate to hear what you'd have to say about me being on a ladder. Much less the cardiac arrest my wife would go into if she saw me do it. So what I'll do is I'll send Kelsey up that ladder and... <laughs> And then you'll be coming to my funeral. Yes, you will. But you see, we're not too much unlike these folks in Israel at this time. We made commitments at one time, didn't we? Told God that we were going to do things. 
made promises. We said, God, if you will, I will. And he does, and we almost do. <laughs> it's not that we don't do it at all. It's just that we almost do it. Does that make sense? It's like that song, I surrender some things. That's how we ought to be singing it. Revelation chapter 2. Strong words. We need to hear them. But I have this against complaint against you. You don't love me as or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your uh, lampstand from its place among the churches. So you see, let's go all the way to the book of Revelation in the New Covenant. And God is speaking directly to the Christians and saying, You don't love me like you used to. If marriages behaved every day like they did when they started, marriages would be strong for a long, long time. Because when you first get married, how oh, mercy. You know what I'm talking about. How you can come home to a nice, clean home. You can come home and there's food on the table, prepared just like you like it. You come home and whew, she smells good and you even smell good. And if you don't, you go take a shower so you do smell good. Woo! That's how we are first. And then after a few years, I don't know, something happens. We don't really care anymore. Amen? Come on now. Well, not in my house, man. We're just in love today as much as we were then. Good! Praise God! But you're an anomaly. <laughs> because see, we become complacent and we take things for granted that they're always going to be there. Uh huh. When one of them leaves, when one of them dies, profoundly affects you, the one left here. Profoundly. But what was important to God? What was important to God wasn't important to His people. What was important to God wasn't important to His people back in the Old Testament now. So God does what He always does when the people are rebelling. He sends somebody to teach them. So He sent the prophet and his name was Haggai. Love the name. What's your name? Haggai. Not Hangnail, no Haggai. In verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1, oh my goodness, we get a lot. Let's see what it says. Because I was going to open my Bible and read it to you. <laughs> I knew what I was going to do. That's why I have the verse up there. Okay. And I had that marked and then I unmarked it. So let me get over here between the Z brothers. Come on now. Where'd you go? There you are. And Haggai's a long book. It'd take you a long time to read it. It's two chapters, if you didn't know. Pick it up, verse 1, in your Bible with me, Haggai chapter 1. On the 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message. A message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and, the, and to Jeshua, son of uh, Jehoz, Jehozadak, the high priest. 
And this is what the Lord of Heaven Army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent his message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while this house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's Army says. Look at what happen- what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Man, that sounds eerily familiar to our culture today. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house, and then I will take pleasure in it and will be honored, says the Lord. Verse 9, you hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. <laughs> now you see the problem. We're so focused on ourselves that we've forgotten the things that God wants us to build. Now where is the temple today? Is it in a building? No. The temple of God is in this building. Right here. So the question is, how are we doing with this temple? We're taking care of it? Watching after it? Giving it plenty of rest and exercise? Eating right? Well, let's just don't talk about that. Verse 4, the houses that back in Haggai 1, 4, he focuses on the houses that the people are building for themselves are lavish. Not just comfortable, they're lavish. I mean, they've got the state-of-the-art equipment in it. They've got drawers that you close and they don't slam. You know, you can push them in there and then they stop and just kind of pull themselves closed. Whoop! You can even order those online now. And they'll come and all you got to do is just take it out of the box and stick it in your kitchen. That's it. Don't even have to do anything with them. Isn't that awesome? I saw a toilet the other day advertised. You don't have to, it doesn't have a push a button to push anything. You just hold your hand over it and it flushes. I want one of those. In the name of God. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? It's... I mean, it's not enough to have a 47-inch TV. you got to have a 90-inch TV. You gotta have this projection television. You gotta have a theater room. You can't just have a living room with a TV in it. You gotta have a theater room with chairs that recline and cup holders on the sides. I know a church is built like that. They've got, they've got two rows in the front that are recliners. And I love it the way the preacher put it. He said, well, we want to be all things to all people that we may win some. <laughs> so if you want to stay home on Sunday to rest, well, come on, we've got it for you right here. But they've got cup holders on the, cu- on, the t- on the seats. I love it. Awesome. That way when they bring their Coors Light in, well, they'll have a place to put it. Y'all you know, for preaching to meddling. Verse 9. They were too busy. They were too busy. And, and, and it conveys the idea of being completely preoccupied with something. They were preoccupied... To the extent that one devotes all time, energy, and resources toward it. Do you know people that, I mean, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a plant person. I kill everything I put in the ground. I can kill an air fern. Okay? I don't know how I do it, but I can do it. Some people, though, boy, they have a magic touch, don't they? 
Everything they plant just turns out beautiful. I love it. I wish that I had that gift. I don't have it. But there's some people that they spend all of their time doing that. They'll forfeit time with God. They'll forfeit time with prayer. They'll forfeit time with believers. Because, boy, they've got to have everything. It's springtime. It's summertime. Got to get it all ready. Got to make it look good. Woo! Nothing wrong with that per se, but life is about balance, isn't it? Life is about balance. If you've got those gifts, use them, but then equally balance out your time with the Lord and the effectiveness that you can be in the lives of other people. Because, see, Haggai's message is the same message that we need to hear today, and that's the message that it matters about priorities. It matters about priorities. And it's still simply a matter of priority today. It is. It usually has nothing to do with whether there are resources to do the job or not, but rather it has to do with what or who comes first. Is the Lord the first thing you think of when you get up? When you get up in the morning, do you jump up and say, Good morning, Lord! Or do you say, Good Lord, morning? Because there's a big difference. Big difference. In verses 5 and verse 7 of Haggai 1, it says, give careful thought to your ways. Back in Revelation, God says, I want to be the first in your life. I want to be your first love. And you've walked away from that. You've forgotten who your first love should be. The Jews thought that if they just got back home, everything would be okay. You see, it's not enough just to get to the church. The church building is not just enough because you've got to do something when you leave this building. You've got to keep building the temple in you because He's in you. If you're only getting Him when you come here, you're not going to get much. Tom Tucker is a dear friend of mine. known him for years and years and years and years. Probably he's as old as Moses. <laughs> Still a campus minister in Tahlequah. But Tommy Tucker said something one time I never forgot. He said, if you only come to church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, he said, that's all the spiritual feeding you get. He said, you'll have, by the time you're a retired adult, you'll have the equivalent education of a kindergartner. How sad is that? How sad is that? You see, they had become people of God before they were truly free. They had to become people of God before they were truly free. And we need to make sure that not only are we back home, but that, and we've changed an address, but that we're, we're back doing the things that God wants us to do. Four things He always wants us to do. Number one, encounter Him every day through His Word. Encounter Him every day, number two, through prayer. And number three, never miss an opportunity to get with those that believe like you do. That can be at church, that can be at work, that can be anywhere. And then number four, give away what you got. Give it away. Give away what you got. Well, I don't have a lot of money. You missed the point. You've got the eternal life of God living in you. Give it away. You've got the greatest gift of all. Give it away. You know somebody needs it. Amen? You know somebody needs it, so give it away. God's people don't go to a temple to worship Him anymore. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 Addresses God as the Most High. Because you see, God lives in us. He wants to be in us. But there, 
there are some temple practices that we still need to do. And one of them in particular, one of them in particular, God's there on your outline, making the presence of God a priority again. Making the presence of God a priority again. Again, the physical temple was the concentrated presence of God in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, in Christ, God lives in our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives where? In you. Say it again. In you. He lives where? In you. All of you. In you. Where? In you. Come on. In you. Give me a witness. In you. Testify. In you. He lives in you. He's in there. Don't crowd him out. Don't put other stuff in his way. He'll trip over it. Don't put it in there. If you smoke, quit. He can't see through the fog. He can't see through me because of the fat. He's still working his way through some of that. See, in the Old Testament, God was off limits. You couldn't really talk to God. You couldn't get to God. You had to go through the priest. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus is our high priest. And at his death, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, torn in two. And for the very first time, for the very first time, mankind had direct access to God through Jesus Christ. You see, there's the key. It's not through your church attendance. It's not through the offices that you hold. It's not how many classes you've taught. It's not how many miles you've driven to church and back and all that stuff. You have access through Jesus. Now, Jesus is the reason you teach. Jesus is the reason you serve. Jesus is the reason that you travel all those miles. It's because of Jesus. And on the cross, He gave you freedom. On the cross, He opened the door for all of us that believe in Him and have Him as our Savior. We have direct access to God. And that's described for us in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's God's answer. And I want to go there and read it to you, okay? Hebrews chapter 10. Turn in those Bibles if you would. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Love this chapter. We usually beat each other up at verse 25, but we're going to stop before that. Verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By His death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We got hope. We've got hope. And in Christ... We have the victory. And in Christ, we have it all. I'm going to close with two stories. Any of you heard the name Al Capone? He was a mobster in Chicago. Bootleg, booze, prostitution, murder. He was a rough guy. But he had a, nick, he had a, a, a lawyer who had this nickname, Easy Eddie. And the reason he had that nickname is 
He was a great lawyer. He kept Al Capone out of prison, out of jail, because of how good he was. And so Capone, to show his appreciation, lavished Easy Eddie. Lots of money. Bought him lots of favor. But Eddie had a soft spot. And the soft spot was a son that was born to him and his wife. And he loved that boy. Saw that he had the best of everything. Clothes, cars, a good education. Nothing was withheld. Price was no object. But despite his involvement with organized crime, Eddie even tried to teach this boy right from wrong. He wanted his son to be a better man than he was, yet... With all of his wealth and influence, he couldn't give his son the two things that he needed. A good name and a good example. So one day, Eddie decided that he was going to try to rectify the wrongs that he'd done. Well, in order for him to do that, he was going to have to turn in and tell the truth on Scarface Capone. So he went to the authorities and he spilled his beans. And he knew that by that testimony, it would cost him dearly. But he did it so that he could show integrity and show his son how he's supposed to live. And sure enough, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire in a lonely Chicago street. But he gave his son something that money can't buy. Which leads us to story number two. Was Memorial day weekend, I thought this story would be important. In World War II, it produced many heroes. One such man was Lieutenant Commander Butch O'Hare, fighter pilot, assigned to the aircraft carrier Lexington in the South Pacific. And one day, his entire squadron was sent on a mission. After he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had not topped off the fuel. So he got hold of his commander and he told him to go back. The flight leader said, go back. And so he reluctantly pulled out of formation and headed back to the fleet. But as he was returning, he noticed a squadron of Japanese aircraft heading toward that fleet. So with all the American fighters gone, that fleet was setting defenseless. They couldn't be reached in time to get back. He couldn't warn the fleet of the approaching danger. So he only did what he felt he could do, and that was to attack the squadron of Japanese pilots. So he went after them, and he had 50 caliber machine guns on the wings, and they were blazing. And he would dodge in and out, and in and out, and around, and he was just creating all kinds of havoc, and Ran out of ammunition, so he decided, man, I'm, I can't let them get to our ships. So he tried to knock them out. Tried to just clip a wing or whatever he could to get that plane to go down. That Japanese plane to go down. And so finally the Japanese squadron said, I've had enough of this clown. So they just all pulled out of formation and left and went somewhere else. He was very relieved. Butch O'Hare was. So tattered air, uh, air fighter got back to the carrier. And when they looked at the film on the, the gun camera mounted on the tail of the plane, it showed 
what Butch O'Hare had done. In fact, he knocked out five of those enemy aircraft just in that time that he spent. That all took place on February 20th, 1942. And for that action, Butch O'Hare became the Navy's first ace of World War II, the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And a year later, he was killed in an aerial combat at the age of 29. And his hometown would not allow the memory of this World War II hero to fade. And so if you happen to find yourself in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago, between Terminals 1 and 2, is a wonderful display of this man and his Medal of Honor. And you might say, Preacher, what do these stories have? They They don't make sense from what you've been preaching. Oh, yeah, they do. Butch O'Hare was easy Eddie's son. You don't know what your stand for God. You don't know what your integrity for God will create in another person. You don't know the legacy of spiritualness that you pass on to your generations after you. You don't know if there's not a Corey Tinboom ready to rise. You don't know if there's another Billy Graham ready to come out from a generation below us. You see what I'm saying? So you can either do one of two things. You can either say, you know what, I'm just going to live the way I want to live. The way the Jews decided to do when they got back home. <laughs> or, or, you can set an example of what Jesus looks like. And then if you'll set that example and you set it right, you never know. You will never know the impact that it will leave on the life of someone around you. Father, I ask you this morning, be very real in our life. It's real easy, Father, to just kind of blow things off. It's real easy to get sidetracked. It's real easy to get focused on things that really aren't important. God, I'm asking you this morning that you would do something in each heart that's here. Because a decision will be made by everyone in this room when they leave. They'll either make a change or they'll stay the same. And to stay the same in what you want. You see, there was a time when some of us literally, literally would never, ever think of missing time with you. But life happens. Things get in the way. And so you make one excuse and then you make a second excuse. And then before long, you don't even have to make excuses anymore. Ah, you know, they're not as friendly at that church as I I need them to be. Well, they don't really care. Nobody's called to find out if we're still alive. And God, while those are important that we do that with each other, and I agree that we need to be more connected to each other. What you're concerned about is what each of us are doing. See, I can point a finger at somebody else and justify the sin of my own life. But I don't think you're as convinced as I am. So, Father, I'm asking you today to just do something. Take your finger and stir in the heart of the people in this room. God, we can sit back or we can rise up and start getting wood and start to rebuild the temple. And what I love is the fact that no matter how far I've fallen or how, how much I have neglected 
if I just turn to you, you come running. You come running to help me to rebuild that temple. So God, I'm asking today that people will stand up and rebuild the temple. They'll start with their heart. They'll start with their their minds. And Father, they will start in repentance to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. God's tugging on your heart.